0: So Zoonette, thank you for coming on. How you doing? Thanks for having me. I'm doing pretty well. How you doing? Not bad, not bad. It's a Monday. Right? Are you are you part of that like, I hate Mondays? <laughs> no.
1: Today has been like a challenging Monday, but usually no, I'm not that person that's like, yeah, the case of the Mondays like, no, that's not me. <laughs> Mondays Mondays have been totally fine since 2016. They've they've been alright by me. So
0: yeah. I feel you. I feel you. I can't really complain about Mondays nowadays. So yeah. Um so yeah, uh introduce yourself. Where are you from? Where are you at?
1: Yeah, so my name is Sulinette. You may call me sulinette I am currently based in Connecticut in the United States, depending on where y'all are checking in from. Uh, I am a full-time artist, poet, and there are a lot of things that fall under those two umbrellas, which include, but are not limited to, uh, I am a fellow podcaster. I am a producer, a director, a performer, a facilitator, an author, and many, many, many other things. (laughs) I
0: am everything from the CEO to the
1: janitor. That's who I am
0: nice nice sorry i'm getting a little bit of feedback is that
1: Mm. it might be the room.
0: we'll 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 try to play through it i that's that's that should be fine maybe if i like
1: hug around the mic (laughs) no that's not any better
0: (laughs) (laughs) we'll see how it goes no that's dope so um so you're from Connecticut, you said? Yeah. Is yeah. Uh, is that where you were raised?
1: Uh mostly. I was born in Chicago and my family moved around a lot from there. But we uh had lived in Hartford, which is the capital of Connecticut. We lived in Hartford on several different occasions and eventually um yeah, just settled settled in Hartford. We did a lot of um moving around because my stepfather at the time was a truck driver, or we moved around a lot because our grandparents would move, and so we would kind of follow them wherever they went. Uh, So yeah, uh, ended up in Hartford, and been in Hartford since 2001, 2001, and uh, I'm looking to, particularly this year, looking to uh, get out, move out, see, and live in other places, so I'm excited for that.
0: Definitely, yeah. I definitely like moving around. Um, so, how was it growing up in in Connecticut? Um,
1: it was it was pretty challenging. Um, some of it was challenging, I would say. Um, the challenging parts were, you know, we grew up very poor. We uh, lived in not the best neighborhoods. We went to school. Um, I'm saying we, because I, at the time it was my siblings living with me. And also, um, sometimes cousins would live with us and stuff, you know, Latina families, that's how we do. Um, <laughs> so we were going to, uh, schools that definitely didn't seem to think we would be doing very well down the line and they let us know. So, um, a lot of that was very challenging. Um, Knowing what would become of us was was also a challenging thing to sort of um, to sort of envision. So in terms of becoming so in terms of becoming an artist, I wouldn't necessarily say it was an idea that was discouraged. It just wasn't in the realm of possibility. It wasn't an idea that existed. Um, it was always and only a, a hobby. It just happened to be a talent that you had, but that was it. Um, The really dope thing about growing up in Connecticut, particularly in Hartford, is it's one of the cities um, in the U.S. that has the highest Puerto Rican populations. So I very much grew up around my people, which was really rad for me. Uh, And it definitely influences my work. It influences my poetry. It influences, um, I mean, it influences my speech, (laughs) my mannerisms, Um, and and it influences my visual art pieces of Puerto Rico, um, pop up in my work. So, um, that was, that was really cool having, having grown up that way. I, I didn't know that until maybe I was an adult that, uh, Connecticut had that particularly, uh, where I lived. I assumed every place had Puerto Ricans <laughs> just because I was so surrounded by them. I was like, they're here, And in New York (laughs) and maybe everywhere, they should be everywhere, but no, some people are like, I have never met a Puerto Rican in my life.
0: (laughs) So that was cool. Yeah. There's definitely those parts of the country, um, with, with, uh, lack of Puerto Ricans. I've been there. And it's definitely better in the places where there are more Puerto Ricans. So, Mm -hmm. um, No, that's really cool. So being Puerto Rican, um, are you first gen or your your
1: grandparents? I think I would be a second or third. My grandparents were born and raised in Puerto Rico. My mom was born in Brooklyn. I don't know what generation that makes me, is what I'm saying. And then I was born in Chicago. So (laughs) what am I? Second gen?
0: I think second gen, yeah. Okay,
1: cool. I'm second gen then.
0: (laughs) Cool. Yeah. Puerto Rican, the Puerto Rican culture is so rich. And I was just talking to uh, with my last guest about, you know, how rich it is. And he was from New York too. And he, anyway, like a lot of culture. And so I would imagine, so how was like growing up, you were talking about, um, growing up in rough conditions and, you know, you're Puerto Rican, um, and you got these cultures was your art. You said that it was influenced by your culture. so it was your art and early on a kind of recluse. And, you know, as a kid, for me being, you know, growing up in lower incomes, you kind of, you, you, your imagination goes wild. Was that kind of how you went about it? My art
1: for me, I think my art for me when I was younger was first, like, I think I had a natural knack for it. And because people were giving me attention and praise for it, I was like, oh, this is cool. Okay. (laughs) Um, In middle school, uh, in middle school, something that influenced uh, me sort of taking it more seriously at the time, I was like 11, uh, was a, a boy saying that girls couldn't draw. So I took that very personally and decided that I would prove him wrong. And I did. Um. And around that time, also, Pokemon was, like, the thing. It was, like, popping at that point. And so I started drawing a ton of Pokemon um, and then drawing a ton of Dragon Ball Z characters and then drawing, like, just a whole bunch of anime characters. Um, And so it became, uh, which was really good for me at the time because middle school was then also when a lot of challenging things were happening. Uh, personally, with me, so it became it became a source of light essentially, because again, it was something where I was getting positive feedback. It was something that was giving me positive attention, um, and it was something that I could do anywhere. I could flip over my uh, my my class handout sheet and and just doodle. I could uh, get envelopes at home from from the mail that my parents were getting, and I could draw on there. I could it was something that was super accessible to me. Um, and I think that very much had an influence as to why it it meant so much to me. Um, and yes, absolutely. It was, it was part of me processing my own emotions in a way, you know, like if you're younger, you don't, you don't have language. You don't have, um, yeah, you don't have language to express complex thoughts or complex emotions that we might be feeling. So art can become a place to sort of let that all out. Um, And to have it be um, like maybe the first private place that you have that you may not have anywhere else. Having a journal was dangerous when you're like the youngest and you have all older siblings that like to tease you. Like, nah, I ain't ain't keeping a journal, no. But I can draw. (laughs) So so it definitely became a safe space for me. Heck
0: yeah. Yeah, you know, our... You can create, that's the cool thing about create being a creative you could create your own little worlds and and kind of go into them when you when you want when you need to um so you said that you were getting before you mentioned that you had gotten a little bit of attention and that it was mostly viewed as a hobby um what like when you start getting into your creative side how were your parents' reaction to to it are supportive or not?
1: Uh, my, listen, if you ask my mom now what it is that I do, she still wouldn't be able to tell you. She would tell you that I'm a teacher and I'd be, I would just be like, sure, that's part of it. Um, <laughs> so she still can't even tell you like that I'm an, that I'm a full-time artist or a poet. <laughs> She's never seen me perform. She read one poem of mine like a few years ago and I made a mention of God. It wasn't even in, in a negative way, but she was like, eso del diablo. And I was like, all right, well, um. <laughs> that's cool. (laughs) But, uh, I don't think I started to make mention of wanting to do this full time. until maybe my late twenties, uh, I'm currently 32. I, uh, I had, uh, I actually came at it through poetry before I came at it through art. Um, I had started performing in 2010, I had gone to this all ages open mic in downtown Hartford, uh, the place no longer exists. And because it was all ages and because it was in downtown, because it was accessible to me, I, I went for the first time and I saw people get up on stage and I heard poetry in a way that I had never heard it before. It was raw. It was honest. It was gritty it was talking about social issues, it was talking about personal feelings it was all mashed up together and it was explosive. And I was like, I want to do that. I want to do that. And I have rarely had that feeling of like that alignment. And also like to the people at home, when you get that feeling, please follow it. It will not steer you wrong. But I I saw it and I was like, I want to do that. I want to get up on stage and I want to rip it like that. Um And so I was on stage the next week with a poem in my hand, uh, shaking like a leaf in the wind. Uh, (laughs) But when I finished, I was like, yo, that adrenaline rush is crazy. (laughs) But um, so people knew me for years as a performer, as a poet, long before they knew me as a visual artist, I was very... I kept my art very close to home, because to me, it's much more personal to me than um than my poetry is. My poetry, I think I use as a vehicle to reflect the world back to itself, to talk about social justice issues, to talk about what it's like being femme, what it's like being queer, what it's like being uh, you know, have, having been raised poor, what what those sorts of experiences are like. And yeah, there's a lot of personal stuff in there. But when it comes to painting, Um, when it comes to drawings, that to me is much more closer to my own inner emotional world than poetry is. So I kept that to myself uh, until maybe 2014. So four years after people already knew that I was like a poet and performing and stuff, I had actually been asked to come perform poetry somewhere. And I just randomly was like, do you mind if I bring some artwork? you know, just to show it. I, I wasn't thinking nothing about selling it. No, ah, whatever. I was so self-conscious about my art. Um, I was very much comparing it to people because social media, it'll do that to you and you will do that to you, uh, where you are comparing whatever it is that people are posting as their own successes. Um, and then you use it as like markers of like, Oh, see, this is where I should be. And that's not true. None of it is true. Um, <laughs> Um, I brought my artwork there to that venue, to where I was supposed to perform. I lined up my art on the wall, like at the back of the stage. (laughs) uh, This woman had approached me. This woman approached me while somebody was performing. She walked up from behind me and she was like, is that your artwork? She was like whispering, is that your artwork? I said, yeah. She's like, how much is that one? I had no intention again of selling anything. I just wanted to show people the pretty pictures (laughs) i told her like the first number that came to mind and she was like "That's mine (laughs) and uh yeah and she bought it she bought it that day and i was like oh oh this is a new feeling this is a thing this is i think this is something i can do um and i think I think soon after that I started posting just little things that I was very okay with with getting rid of. There were still some things that I'm like, "No, they're my babies. They got to stay with me." Um but there were some things that I had posted and like I was surprised with how quickly people were just like purchasing them up happily. Um so when I I started to get a lot of signs uh about this is a very long way of answering your question. Not that I'm apologizing for you. <laughs> no, <thank> you. <laughs> I started to get a lot of signs from other people who were doing this full time, who were full-time artists or full-time poets or full-time facilitators. Just confirmation that you could do this. Not that it would be easy, but that you could do this full-time. And, uh, and I was... I had gotten my, uh, my master's degree in social work in 2013, because again, art as a job was still not a possibility to me. Um, I was seeing people doing it, but I was like, all right, yeah, that's probably working for them. Um, And uh, I remember starting, I remember I had uh, been three months into my new job after I got my master's degree and I was, I wrote in my journal because my siblings had moved out by this time, and now I could have a journal. <laughs> I, uh, I remember writing, you know, I have no idea what I'm doing here. I don't want to be here. I don't want to be doing this. Um, and I stayed at that job for three years, and along the way, I was still performing, still sharing artwork, and still doing this full-time job as a researcher. And... Uh, there came a point in time where I met somebody who was a performer, who was, because here was a conundrum that I had too. I was like, well, I have to pick one thing to do and only one thing. I have to either be a poet or I have to be a painter and that's it. And the other one just has to take the back seat and chill. And then I met this person at an event who, while spitting poetry, poetry up on stage, was also painting a painting just with the most ease. He was also dancing and singing. He was doing a whole bunch of things all at once. And uh, my best friend at the time, like leaned over towards me and just elbowed me a little bit. And I was like, I get it. Okay. I see what's happening. Um, and I was so inspired that night. I was so inspired, in fact, that I went into work the next day and I was just bawling. I was crying at my desk. I was like, I don't wanna be here. I hate this. I hate everything about this. Um, and so uh, I knew that I was gonna make the leap. And so I started to sort of plan and prepare for that monetarily, uh, energy-wise. Um, asking myself some really good questions. Like if nobody ends up buying your artwork, if nobody ends up booking you, if nobody ends up supporting your work, are you still going to do this? Or are you only doing it because you think people are going to give you money? And I was like, no, I'm doing this regardless. Uh, so yeah, 2016 was the leap. And I think after I made the leap, that's when I told my mom, (laughs) I was like, listen, this is what's happening. <laughs> this is the plan. <laughs> I have enough to, you know, afford my apartment, my car. Uh, health insurance is going to get figured out. I don't know what to tell you about that. Um, but yeah, everything. Every I'm like, I just want to try. I just want to try and see what happens. Um, yeah, uh, she's she's been <laughs> she's been supportive question mark uh, ever since. It's kind of it's still kind of gray. It's still kind of gray, and I think it's just because she doesn't know exactly what I do.
0: did she kind of freak out at first
1: I think so I think so because it means so much to our family Uh, I was the first person to get any sort of college degree let alone a master's uh, let alone going to grad school let alone you know working at a research organization Uh, it was a big deal there was a big sense of pride around that there was a big sense of like this is who I am now um and so when i discovered that this isn't who i am uh that i'm that i'm this and more that i'm this and i want to be an artist that i am this and i want to be a poet that i am a researcher and i want to do all this creative stuff too that i do have a social work degree and the way that i want to do social work is through art and poetry um there was a whole lot of redefining who it is that i am um and so i think for my mom it just sounded like the craziest thing she's ever heard in her life she's like you went to school for for all this and i'm like yeah for a piece of paper that's probably going to help still to get me more opportunities and get me through get me in through more doors because we still leave, live in a very elitist society so I know when I tell somebody I'm an artist and poet, they're like, oh, all right, that's cute. And I'm like, yeah, and I have a master's degree and blah blah. blah. They're like, oh, oh, you have a master's degree, blah, blah. I'm like, I know how this works. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> so so it's uh, part of it is like utilizing the, the privilege that I have so that I can work that I want to do for the communities that I want to work with for the for my shit, yeah, for my community. Um yeah. So it's kind of like a robin hooding in a sense.
0: <laughs> yeah, there you go. St- yeah. steal from the rich, give to the poor. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's that's really cool and I, I I stand by that whole notion as well that that uh you know the society is kind of structured for us to fall into these little you know distinctions and pockets and and then we're we're supposed to define our whole personality around this title but um we all know that humans are way more complex than that so uh with with the ever-changing world why not change change that shit too so uh (laughs) so so going deeper and kind of backwards because um do you remember the first time you wrote poetry
1: The first time I remember writing okay poetry was when, was shortly after my nephew was born, my first nephew, my eldest nephew. Um, He was born in March of 99 and that summer. And I was with him every day because my sister lived with us at the time. So I was with him every day and I was like, I'm an auntie and that makes me cool. That makes me a superhero. Uh, Can't nobody (laughs) tell me nothing. Uh, <laughs> I'm Titi now. You can refer to me as Titi. Um, and uh, that summer, I had ended up going to Chicago to um, visit family. I was like, Oh, I am missing this kid. This is like my first nephew. This is a big deal to me. Um, so I wrote him a poem, and it, I mean, it was it was oh, it was the corniest corn you've ever corned before. <laughs> but it was sweet and it was tender and it was full of love. Um, and so, uh, that was, that was probably when I was around 12 years old. Um, from there came like high school poetry. So, you know, boys are stupid. You broke my heart. Everything is dark and awful. Woe is me. Um, <laughs> uh, and then as I got older and, uh, I would say going to college, I, I went to Yukon over here. Um. And, uh, when I went to college, I was having these experiences of, uh, feeling like what an animal at a zoo must feel like, like seeing people look at it through glass, because we were talking about most of my classmates were white, you know, grew up in suburbia and all that. And the things that we were talking about were, you know, poverty, racism, sexism, and, and, and. The topic of Hartford, like as a city, would come up a lot. And for folks that don't know, Hartford is an impoverished city. Hartford is majority black and brown. Um, And uh, I would feel super uncomfortable being in those classes. I would feel like I was being observed. I would feel like I was under a microscope. I would feel like I was being dissected, like I was being dissected, like my community was being dissected from people who could never possibly fathom what it was like to survive or to live or to love a place like where I come from. And so uh, I remember writing a poem where I think the shift really happened in terms of how I write now. Um, it It was a pretty, it was critical. It was definitely me calling out professors it was um, essentially, you know, calling out the the elitist BS of like, how it is that you judge people that, again, come from where I come from, like the, the SAT scoring and the mispronunciation of names and the racism and the, uh, oh, you you come from there, that must mean you're not going to go very far. Um, oh, this, that's the ethnic or the racial group you come from. You must not be able to go far. Oh, you're a woman. You must not be that brilliant. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think that's really where the shift of how I write and what I write about happened. So then when I saw somebody doing that at an open mic and sharing something, uh, that raw, I was like, oh, oh, this is the thing. Okay. Yeah. Yeah yeah but yeah it started with nah. my nephew, I'll say
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh no, heck yeah no, yeah, I mean, all art starts as like bad art quote unquote, you know, so my first you know the first time I drew was a crap crappy drawing, so <laughs> um you knew, cause you were saying that it was cheesy or and et cetera, so um i remember my i i i i did a little poem. In kindergarten, that won a won a won a little award, and then, and I remember reading finding it and reading it, and I was like, "This is garbage." Anyway,
1: <laughs> uh... <laughs> I'm gonna tell you a secret. You just reminded me of one.
0: My okay. mom,
1: it's it... <laughs> there was a radio station that was having a Mother's Day competition, a Spanish radio station when we lived in Springfield, Massachusetts at the time, and my mom had like a poem somewhere. It was like it. <sighs> Uh, how do I say this? It was like pre-written. It was somebody else's poem. It was like on some tapestry that she bought at some store or whatever. It was definitely not my poem, but she had me call in the radio station. And before she called, she was like, I need you to pretend like you're crying. I need you to be like emotional. Read this poem. Let's just see what happens. (laughs) I was like six years old at the time. And we called in, we called in and I read the poem and I was like, mommy, you mean so much to me. <laughs> and I won. <laughs> wow. The radio station does not know that that was not my poem, that that shit came off of like, again, some tapestry or something that we had around the house. Um, <laughs> and she won a, she won like a, uh, she won a vase with like an Asian design on it. And it was like on a little or something, she still has it to this day, and it was based off of a lie. It was based off of a lie, but that was like my first poetry award.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That was hey, it was your delivery that won you the award, right? (laughs) So you earned it, and that's when you became a professional poet. You've been a professional poet, yep, that was it. That was it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man that's so cool (laughs) that's a cool story um so so you you talked you talked about uh your poetry in school and that you were you went to school for social work um do you think that i guess how did you choose social work and do you think your creative art side kind of influenced that
1: so I chose social work um, partly because partly because of the job that I had. Um, I had worked at the, the research institute that I mentioned. I had worked there since I was a teenager. It was the very first job that I ever had. It was a summer job. And they were definitely, and I'm, they are, uh, an influence in terms of how it is that I view the world, how it is that I think And, um, and thusly how it is that I write and the things that I write about that summer job, we were, it was me and like 39 other teenagers from Hartford. And we were tasked, we were taught how to do community-based research, um, We were asked to pick a topic. We were then asked to create research tools, how to implement them, how to like go out and survey other teenagers, how to interview other people. Um, It was wild. It was a whirlwind. First of all, if you asked me what I did at the end of it, I'd be like, I don't know stuff. And, but also they taught us how to, how to sort of share information in a creative way. So we had ended up building a website. We had ended up making, uh, um, oh, what was it called? We were making uh, like picture, like uh, we were taking pictures, but also creating like storylines out of them. We created maps. We created all sorts of stuff to show this information that we gathered from our own community. I had stayed in touch with them all throughout uh, the rest of my high school years and um, and up through, through college and everything. Um, I would intern for them. I would work for them part-time, whatever it is that I could do, I would stay connected to them. Cause I knew I was like, I'm never going to be able to get another job. That's like this, where I feel, where I feel like I'm doing something in the community where I'm not just, uh, where I'm not just somebody who's helping somebody find a t-shirt that goes with their jacket. Uh, I, I used to, uh, I used to work at a retail store and I hated it. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it. For me, and no shade to people that love that. There are people that love that. I do not love that. Um I I so I had stayed in touch with them and uh and then from there it sort of influenced uh it sort of that's what influenced me getting a social work degree. Prior to that, I got a degree in psychology and that was influenced by a teacher that I had in high school. Um, he, I, I never knew what psychology was before that class. It was in my senior year. Um, the year was split into half a year of sociology and half a year of psychology. And with psychology, I was like, oh, we can, we can find reasons for stuff. We can find like patterns for behavior and why people do the crazy things that they do. And of course I use it as like a tool to analyze everybody else. Like, Oh, that's why my sister does this. That's why my brother does that. <laughs> it was very judgmental. <laughs> um, but uh, after I, after I got that degree, um, I was like, what, what is the, what would make sense as the next step for another degree? I knew I was going to go back to college. I knew I was going to go back to grad school and um and social work was the most fitting in terms of the work that I was still doing with that organization um my concentration was in community organizing and it talked about when I was reading the description for what that meant it talked about systems it talked about um it talked about big scale change it talked about um you know rallying people and um and uh, doing work with large groups of people to make uh, changes on a grand scale, on a large scale. Um, And I was like, that sounds like the work that I've already been doing. I can get a degree in what I've already been doing with this organization, let's do this. Um, So it just seemed like the smoothest transition. Um, I wanted to get something that had to do with change. I knew that I would never be a social worker in the sense of like, uh, somebody that does like one-on-one work with clients. Um, I knew that I wanted to always be working with community and in community. So um, I would say it was a mix of all those things that, that influenced me to get a master's degree in social work and also the flex, the flex of having a master's degree also influenced me to get a master's degree for sure. Was like, if yeah, I know yeah. that I can, I will. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, that's dope. That's, That's dope, and um, yeah, I feel like that's a big driver for me sometimes. Like, Mm. someone said that I couldn't do it. I think, yeah, one of my teachers said, well, I don't think you could, based on your grades now, in middle school, I don't think you could be an engineer. Um, Anyway. um,
1: Prove them wrong.
0: (laughs) Maybe I proved them right recently, but uh, no, that's... So social work, I feel like artists, you were talking about earlier, you're sitting in class, you're 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 seeing and listening to lectures and, and these the- theories, uh theoretical, you know, sciences on what you understand on a human level. Um and I guess as far as artists go, I feel like creatives and artists in general could kind of cut through some of the bullshit that is in, you know, society at surface value and, and look past that level and realize, Oh, this is not really what, this is what's going on. So that coupled with some, usually a a form of empathy, like a high level of empathy. Do you think those kind of things played a part into that as well? Like you're, or you think they're kind of hand in hand, back and forth? That,
1: hmm. like the social work, the social yeah. work part of it, and the artistic, creative part of it.
0: Mm-hmm. Hmm.
1: hmm. I think they go hand in hand. I think because, um, I think because of the way that I was introduced to. Uh, what happens with research and working with community and then sharing results in a creative way. Um, I think having experienced that at a a young age where you are, people think, you know, you are either left-brained or right-brained, and that's just not true, but like activating all of it at the same time, (laughs) knowing it doesn't have to be one or the other, um, I think that was very influential in terms of that you can do community work, you can do meaningful work, you can work and it can still be creative. It can still be meaningful. It can still have soul in it. And, um, when it came to social work, when I was at the school, me and a number of other students at the time decided that our, our, um, our large project at the end would be, would be around, uh, hosting what we called an art in so um during the civil rights movement they had sit-ins where they would sit in uh in restaurants all sorts of places where black people were told not to um, as a form of protest so what we did was called an art in where we took over the entire school inside and outside and we uh we had different art activities at tables we had presentations we had um Uh, I was performing poetry outside, of course, and hosting an open mic. Um, People were chalking up the sidewalks with messages, uh, with protest messages, with images. Um, it It was our way of saying, you know, artwork is social work and social work is artwork. Art has been involved in every single social justice movement ever in history. You have had musicians, you have had songs, you have had dances, you have had dancers, you have had comics, you have had uh, paintings, all that relate or were inspired by or were part of revolutions and change. And we're not going to be minimized to a hobby. We're much more important than that. Um, Also, much love to the people that only do art as a hobby. I see you. I love you. You're valid. Um, But uh, but yeah, it, it it never was separate for me in terms of how I was supposed to identify to the outside world. That's where I felt pressure to be like, Oh, I got to tell people so that they get it that I'm one or the other. And then I spring it up on them. Like, yeah, I'm a social worker, but I'm going to do it through art or I'm an artist, but really I'm a social worker. And it's like, no, I'm all of it at the same time because they're not separate for me. Art, Art and poetry are how I do my social work. That's how I do community change. That's how I impact community. That's how I help to hopefully inspire healing in other people. It's through those things. That's my form of doing it. Um, I think I answered
0: the question. (laughs) Oh, you're muted, love. Oh, sorry. <laughs> um, no, yeah, I love I love everything you're saying. So, I'm, uh, yeah, you know, go on as long as you can. But I, what I was saying was, I definitely feel the same way in 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 that historically, art has always been like you said, part of a revolution, and we're we're seeing the effects of art since you know since the civil rights movement until now and, you know, with last last year being kind of the inflection point um where, you know, rap, you know, rap is a version, poetry is a version of art. There's a whole hip hop, it has its own whole, whole visual side of art, which has been kind of infiltrating the, you know, the society, you know, mass the mass, you know, society, until last year, you know, kind of pushed it over. So I feel like it's understated a lot of times. Like you said, how how impactful it can be, especially if you're if you're taking those two, like you said, two parts of the brain, um, and and intentionally melding them together. Because sometimes it's on accident, sometimes it's on purpose. You know, so right. No, that's really cool. Um, so. What was your high point at the after graduating being at that company or the research? I forget what it's called. The...
1: Uh the place was called uh the Institute for Community Research.
0: Institute, okay, cool. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know like what to call the entity. Okay. You can call
1: <laughs> so it, it organization because you... it is an organization. Okay. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay. Cool. So at that organization, what was your high point there?
1: My high point there while well, working for them, um, outside of art, um, my high point was I was usually doing projects where I was working with youth. I was usually working with high schoolers. I was usually working with at risk youth, which is their way of saying black and brown youth. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, I mean, that was my, that was my jam. I love ice. And I mean, to this day, I still love working with high schoolers cause they will not let you get away with anything. And they are really good for keeping your ego in check. And they are really good at being creative and amazing human beings. Um, And so my high point was probably watching them create community with each other. It was watching these young people who had probably never met each other prior to the program, like become lifelong friends um, and get to know like the and to get to know their own community in a different way that they hadn't before and to see it through a, a new pair of eyes in a sense, um, that that had always been like the highlight for me, uh, was, was working with them and seeing them like challenge themselves. You know, they were doing so much work and they were doing so much valid work. And it's like seeing them realize that their own voice matters and that they could use it Uh, they could hone it and use it and focus it in such a way to create change. That was really rad for me. That was always rad for me. So um, I would say those were the high points because there were, I did multiple projects and I worked with multiple groups of youth. So I would say when, when those things were clicking for them, when they were having those aha moments, those moments of, Oh, I can do this. Or they make it to the other side of like, having given a speech and I know that they were nervous as hell going into it. And then they come out of it and they're like, I'm like, yes, that, I love that. Yeah.
0: Man, that must've been so rewarding. That's so cool.
1: Yeah, it was, it was.
0: So did you see someone kind of like rise in over time and kind of be the person ready to fill your spot for when you eventually left or-
1: yeah. There were, there were a couple, there were a couple of students that definitely um, that I was like, listen, if I could give you my job, I'd be happy. I would be ecstatic. I would be ecstatic if you took it. Um, it didn't happen. <laughs> there's a, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of complexities there and bureaucracy there um, that comes with all nonprofit organizations. But, um, but yeah, there. are what I like to say now is that there is genius in our communities and I don't mean, I don't mean genius in the way that it's been like whitewashed or male washed in any way. I mean like there is genius in our communities and um, I just wish we would all do a better job of like honing it in young people and recognizing it even if it doesn't look like them sitting in front of a book Um, because it doesn't always look like that. And it doesn't make it any less genius. Um, so, so yeah, there was a lot of, there was a lot of complicated things with working at a nonprofit as well. Um, where, where they, I don't think it was necessarily encouraged for them to take my spot <laughs> where I would have happily just been like, one of y'all should have this.
0: Yeah. Mm. yeah. Sometimes it's, it's just a matter of a type, like a, like a degree, like, if yeah. you don't have a master's, you can't have this. Is that kind of correct? That
1: yeah, would definitely so... be one of the things.
0: <laughs> Jeez, yeah, that's that's too bad that some of those you know nonprofits work that way. Maybe some of us can create some new ones with that with less bureaucracy, like you said. In
1: the future. I'm all set with creating a nonprofit, but yep. I would like to keep being the solo renegade that I am now. just doing what i do in the
0: shadows (laughs) there you go so so that so that probably did that play a part it because you were talking about when you went to that to that poetry slam and you saw that person that flipped the switch and you went back to crying the next day did would was that playing a part as to why you you decided to jump ship?
1: Oh, there was, I mean, there was a ton of reasons. There were a ton of reasons. And looking back on it, there are even more reasons than I thought there were originally. Um, Part of it was actually me working with youth. Um, Part of it was, sometimes there would be these points in the process where I had to like run our next step through a supervisor. So we're saying that we are empowering youth and we want them to decide for themselves, et cetera, et cetera while also saying things like, we have grant requirements, we need to look good to stakeholders, we need to like make sure the mayor likes us, et cetera, et cetera. So sometimes they wanted to do something, say something, advocate for something, and weren't encouraged to do so because of those other things. Um, and so there would be some of these times in the process where like there was a lot of friction. There was friction in terms of like, OK, well, what are we allowed to say? Uh, what are we allowed to do? What are we doing next? Who are we waiting for to give us a yes? And I'm like, this sucks. And also I very much recognized the hypocrisy that I had at the time telling them that they could be whatever it is that they want to be. And I wasn't being everything that I wanted to be. I was in a position that again, three months in, I knew that I didn't want to be there. Um, and I ended up staying for like three years, learned a lot, gained a lot of skills, wouldn't have, wouldn't do it differently, but um, it was a doozy. Uh, so that was part of the inf- uh, the influence to like leave the job was working with youth and, and recognizing that I wanted to be more for them. Um, I wanted to be more for them by being more for myself. <clears throat> uh, part of it was, uh, part of it was I attempted <laughs> part of it was like trial and error. Like I attempted to do it all and it wasn't working for me. I attempted to hold down the full-time job at this organization and also do art and poetry as much as I possibly could. And it was just draining me because I would carry work home, like mentally, emotionally. Uh, so part of that was trial and error, uh, trying to do it all and not being able to do it all. Soccer. And um, part of it was like, what what makes me excited to wake up in the morning? and recognizing that this job wasn't doing that for me. In fact, it was doing the opposite. I would wake up in the morning and there were times, there was definitely a time period in there where I was very disappointed that I woke up. I was very, I was doing all that I could to not leave bed. I was self-sabotaging in some ways to see if they would fire me. Looking back on it now, I was like, oh, I was trying to get them to fire me. Um, uh, And that was my knowing that that I, that I didn't belong there. And I think that's also important to know too, is like that intuition knows three months, again, three months in, I was like, I don't belong here. I stayed for three years (laughs) when my intuition was already like, nah. (laughs) Um, so I think it was also that just intuition knowing, um, that when I saw other people on stage doing it, I was like, yeah. And that when it was time to go into work, I'd be like, <laughs> so it was it was a mix of all those things that made me that made me finally take the leap. And also, I would say the the why not? Like, if I try and I fail, I know that I can get a job. I know that people will hire me. I know that the labor force will always be open and available. So, like, why not? Why not take a chance on myself? Why not take a chance on something that I've never seen anybody else do before, like this? Um, yeah, because I don't want to look back on, on my life and be like, I could have, I should have, I could have tried at least, I could have given it a shot.
0: Yeah, no, that's re- that makes a lot of sense, and you know, I feel like a lot of people resonate with that. Um, what you said that I knew in three months, but I stayed for three years. Yeah, uh, I I felt the same way getting into my professional career, but I was my mindset was I got to get as much out of this. I'm in here now. I got to get as much out of this as possible. Send so, you know, spent five years into it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's really cool. So the the first day, jumping ship, how was that?
1: Uh, so jumping ship happened twice, which was funny. Okay. Um, mind you, again, these people knew me since I was a teenager. Uh, <laughs> I... So I felt like I was breaking up with my family in a way. Um, Not that we were actually family. Um, But I had gone first to the founding director. So this is the person that actually opened up the organization. Um, And I told her, and she essentially said something to the extent of like, about time. She's like, "I I knew you would eventually go. I knew you would eventually go for art, for your creativity. I just wanted to see when. And I was like, okay, bet. Um, and then I went and I quit again in the same day. <laughs> I quit with the executive director. <laughs> the first thing that she said that came out of her mouth was, "Are am um, too afraid of being a starving artist. And uh, I mean, there were there were some alarms in me that were like, of course, fool. Um, but I was like, nah, I'm scared of shit. I got this um which is funny because then immediately after that she said you know what actually actually my my son he's an artist and he's he's doing all right and I was like see but our stereotype is the starving artist yeah yeah um no but yeah uh the day after that oh no not even the day in the same day so I quit twice and in the same day like after I did it I felt what I can only describe as like eerily calm. It was almost scary how calm I felt after that happened. I was expecting panic, to faint, to throw up, to like cry to my mom and be like, I have betrayed you. Like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. But instead I felt the most calm I had felt in the three years prior to that.
0: I feel that. I I feel that. I feel, it, it's, um, for me, it was almost like it was a release that I didn't that I didn't know like a weight that I didn't know was on me it had been on me for ten years and or more. And then when I quit, it was like this. It's like oh shit, this is what i was supposed to feel like. Like life is that kind of. How it was,
1: yeah, I was like, "I'm not, oh, oh, I can wake up in the morning and not feel like immediately stressed out, or mm-hmm. I can move more. I can spend my time more intentionally now with what it is that res actually resonates with me versus like what a boss is telling me to do, or what a grant is telling me I have to do, what I have to fulfill. Um, I'm like, oh, I can I can do this like authentically. I can curse in my poetry. I can make connections with people. I can tell organizations to like fuck off if I want to, because who gonna stop me now? <laughs> who gonna stop me? <laughs> so it was really, it was really liberating, which is also simultaneously really scary because now you still also have nobody to tell you what to do. You are doing this all on your own now. Um, so it involved a lot of self-trust and a lot of trial and error and a lot of learning and bumps along the way. But yeah, it, I was like, Oh, this feels, this feels great. I think about now, like, what would it be like to go back to work for somebody else? And I'm like, I, I, can't, I as soon as somebody says something sideways, I'm like, eh, whatever. I'm up. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, yeah. So this was 2014, you said? When this when you quit?
1: When I quit, 2016.
0: Sixteen. So five time. years ago,
1: yeah. Five years ago. Five
0: years ago. Okay. Yeah. So so what are you learning in that first year, you know, on your own?
1: Um oh man. What did I learn that first year? Um I had to listen, I'm still learning it by the way. I had to learn how to like schedule my time. How to uh, I had to learn how to say no because if I said yes to every opportunity, if I said yes to everybody that was trying to only give me like $50, $25 to perform, I wouldn't have made it. So I also had to learn how to like, um, how to evaluate my own value. And how to advocate for myself. Like I'm not doing this as a hobby. I'm really good at what I do. And I've been doing it for a while now at this point. And you're going to have to like honor what I do by paying me thusly. Because now this is my job. Now this is my livelihood. Now I'm in a different position than when you met me like three years ago. And I had a full-time job and I was doing perfectly fine. Now the circumstances have changed. So now your treatment of me is definitely going to have to change. And it's going to have to meet. Certain expectations, and so when you are coming at me and saying that you want me to perform for an hour and you want to give me twenty five dollars and a sandwich, like no, that's not that's not gonna fly for me. Um, and this, and I very much have gotten approached by organizations that I had performed for prior, so it also got a little awkward sometimes for some folks. Like, you know, we don't have the budget. You know, that you performed for us before, and I really, really had to get comfortable with saying no. But the more comfortable you get with saying no, that also means you're creating more room and space for the yeses that align with what you're actually trying to do.
0: Definitely. Yeah, that's so cool. I feel like a lot of people starting off, they have, they feel like they need to say yes to everything because there's some kind of like pressure to start getting some kind of attention or some kind of, you know, income, even if it's just the very little, you know. Right. Um. But I, I've found myself recently kind of like I have my projects and that's worth X amount to me. And if I'm going to do someone else's stuff, then it's going to, it's got to be at least worth that. If not Mm. more, is that, so what kind of things were you saying no to once you figured it out?
1: Oh, I was definitely saying no to, uh, to stuff that was like, um, hey, can we give you again, like $20, $50, um, hey, do you want to drive to this event that's like an hour away from where you live and then an hour back and we'll give you like this amount of money. It was like stuff that mathematically did not make sense to me. Um, And also uh, it was stuff that was like, I mean, and uh, I'm very offended by the word exposure now. I'm very offended by people that know that I've been doing this for as long as I have and are like, what we would love to pay you with is exposure bucks. I'm like, I can't pay anything with exposure like wild, that's that's the craziest thing I've ever heard. I can't I can't pay my rent in, uh, in exposure. I can't eat exposure. i can't I can't soap myself up with exposure. So I can't get paid in exposure. You're not actually doing anything for me. And honestly, anybody that has ever offered me uh, exposure, um that I have ever said yes to nothing has ever come of it nobody is like hey that time that you performed at this place where you didn't get paid not that they knew that but mm-hmm. remember you paid I, I would now like to bestow upon you thousands and thousands of dollars like that's what people think <laughs> happens when they pay you an exposure it's like that's not how that works yeah. my guy so <laughs> yeah
0: yeah people think People think they're like Oprah or something. Like if you had like if you were Oprah, I would you know, I would maybe do it for exposure because she's got a big audience. You're you're just like me. Right, right, right. (laughs) So
1: you got a platform of like and I'm not talking about social media, I mean like in person. I see your events, you have an audience of like three people, most of them are related to you. You're talking to me about exposure. (laughs) No, this does not make sense. So no. (laughs) <laughs> right
0: <laughs> yeah yeah no that's what's up yeah I feel you so um so what's what's a day in the life of Zulinet, the artist the poet the uh creative alchemist
1: <laughs> look like
0: nowadays
1: it uh it depends on the day honestly I I never experienced the same day twice which is very okay by me um typically uh so what I have tried to do, uh, something that I would recommend to folks that are looking to give themselves some sort of schedule is every day of the week uh, is themed for me. Um, so I dedicate Mondays, for example, to recording, to uploading to the podcast, to editing audio, to editing um, cover art, etc. Mondays are for recording. Tuesdays, are for um, applying to grants and fellowships and doing research around that wednesdays are for xyz 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 fridays are just for noodling which means i'm just thinking i'm just trying to intentionally create space to come up with new ideas because you need to make space for that too you can't always be doing Um, so it depends on the day Uh, and it also depends on uh it also depends on whether or not I'm contracted with somebody. So if I have a performance, uh, then, then my day is usually circling around that. If I have, if I'm contracted to facilitate a workshop, then it's a uh, preparation for that. If it's something that's like a series of workshops, which are super fun. Um, if it's a series of workshops, then it's, uh, it could be, it could look like anything from like emails to at least when the world was open, it was meetings with clients. It was, um, uh, contracts, sending out invoices, painting, writing, uh, yeah. So it depends. <laughs> All that to say, it kind of depends.
0: <laughs> a day
1: typically now is like, a day typically now is like emailing, writing, um, cause I'm working on my second book. Um. Yeah, and, and doing dope stuff like this. I'm trying to get back to like connecting with community much more often. Nice. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's definitely something I had to consciously try to do, and that's why I started the podcast. And um, you know, on the topic of podcasts, how did um Creative Alchemist? That's one of your biggest you know platforms right now. Like, when did you decide to start that? Yeah, I started start it.
1: I think I started it in 2018. Uh, It was very much inspired by the fact that when I was looking up information for how to be a full-time entrepreneur, I was having a really hard time finding information around that, Um, particularly when it came to being an artist who was trying to work. It's almost like people don't believe in that anyways. So I was like, you know what? I have information. I have lessons that I've learned. I have experience that I can share freely with the people. Um, So let me do that. Uh, and I was like, I have never. I, I'm not even gonna lie to you. I maybe listened to like three podcasts before that, and I was like, I'm gonna do that. <laughs> it was, it was, it was really just driven by. It was driven by the desire to share out information. It was driven by the desire to share out what it is that I learned, um, because people who were in the position that I was in uh, it was to help them. And also, and also it was to be a really good conversation with people from my community, because again, our communities are filled to the brim with geniuses. Um, I was interviewing people that I knew in the community who were doing art part-time, full-time, sometimes, uh, depends on the cycle of the moon, whatever. I don't care. Um, But I was interviewing them because also they do artistry that's different than mine. And I was really curious about that. And I wanted to see how they made it work um, and how it is that we could learn from each other. I don't want to, I don't always want to learn in a vacuum. I want to learn with other people that are learning as well. So that's where, that's where the podcast came from. Yeah.
0: Nice. First, definitely, definitely is the case that there's not enough information out there and Particularly when it comes to people of color, I feel like, you know, those journeys into creative entrepreneurship can usually be different. Can a lot of times be different than someone from, uh, you know, a more traditional background, I guess is the word. I, should, I don't know, Yeah. Traditional. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Mainstream. <got> <laughs> <laughs> no, that's... <laughs> Yeah so I I I think your podcast is a great value and I you know I I listen to it um all the time um any success stories from people that listen to your podcast that 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 you've heard that you know this I listened to this and now I'm doing this oh ooh
1: um There are, there have been a couple of people that have reached out and in terms of a success story, oh, that's interesting. See, I was over here like, yeah, they quit their job and now they're successful and they're billionaires. And I'm like, no, actually let's redefine what successful means. Um, There are a couple of people that reached out to me and said, I listened to the podcast and I picked up something that I had left off uh, years ago. Um, So whether that was creating Whether that was, you know, trying to make a business out of something creative, um, whether it was about making their own podcast. uh, Yeah, a couple of folks have reached out to say, um, I am now doing something creative or I am creating something now. um, And I know what direction to take. And that. Yeah, that's pretty dope.
0: Yeah, that's huge. That's huge. So yeah, I really appreciate you doing that for people, and I really appreciate you spending some time with me on my podcast. Yeah. Um, I'm learning how to make this uh, as as uh, you know, chill, and as also as much value as possible. But coming to an end, um, how about you tell people how to get to you? How do you you said uh, how do you say it?
1: How to appropriately stalk me
0: there you go <laughs>
1: <laughs> how you can appropriately stalk me is you can visit my website which is www.sulinet.com that's z-u-l-y-n-e-t-t-e um you can support me on patreon it's patreon.com slash sulinet z-u-l-y-n-e-t-t-e um you can support my podcast the creative alchemist um you can listen you can listen and support If you want to just listen and not support it monetarily, that's fine by me. I want the information to be free. Um, Yeah, or you can go to buy me a coffee and, like, buy me a coffee. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, and Instagram. I am on Instagram. So Instagram, my name is the underscore Sulinet. So you can find me on any of those platforms. Don't be shy. Say hi. I'm pretty nice sometimes. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Definitely. I, I That's how me and you got in touch over, you know, Clubhouse, and then I just hit you up. So, um, yeah, you got great stuff. So anyone listening, go and check her out. And, again, I appreciate you so much. I hope to have you back on.
1: Yeah, thank you for having me.